everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Dealing from Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As always, joined by my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. It's what we usually do after these slams, Steve. The first slam of 2023 is over. Um, before we get into that, I think one point I really want to highlight, and I want to hear your thoughts on it as well. Um, very happy for both Wimbledon champs of this past year who did well at the Australian Open. That's obviously the Australian Open finalist, Alina Rabakina, and then, of course, Novak Djokovic. Both of them won Wimbledon. They did not get any points in Australia. Rabakina got to the finals, and Novak obviously won it. Um, very happy for them because, obviously, they, they, they deserve some points. I know there were some other things out there. Certain players couldn't play, but... To win Wimbledon and not get any points, you know, it was nice to see them get rewarded for doing so well down in Australia. Yeah, a couple of quick points. I couldn't agree more, David. A couple of quick points on that. Number one, we discussed this, but I want to just re uh, reassert, reaffirm what I said at the time. And I think you essentially agreed that Wimbledon was and they remain in a very tough, awkward predicament. And it was a hard choice to make. They didn't like it banning the Russians and Belarusians. They didn't like being in the position of banning any players, but they felt given the world situation that they had to do it. I thought it was wrong that the WTA and ATP took those points away. And I think it skewed the rankings. And oh, we yeah. talked about that. Novak, she would have finished, Rubakina would have finished much higher in the rankings last year. And Novak would have been on Carlos's heels for number one in the world just behind. So that it is, it, it, your point is well taken. And, and just think, the other point I'd like to make, it's just imagine Djokovic would be way ahead of the pack right now instead of narrowly ahead of Carlos in the rankings had he been given the 2,000 points for Wimbledon. Be that as it may, it is a great thing. And, and they both had tremendous Australian Opens. Rubakina getting to the final and coming very close, won the first set against Sabalenka. And then Novak, of course, going all the way and taking the title at the cost of one set in seven matches. Yeah, let's let's talk about the um, Sabalenka um, Rabakina match because that was that was high level, very high level. Six four in the yeah. third for Sabalenka. Um, the one thing that I noticed: seventeen aces for Sabalenka. Someone who has, you know, in history has had horrible problems with her serve. Only seven double faults. Um, well, that's know, the key. You just struck the key right there, David. If you can serve 17 aces, if you serve 14 or 15 doubles, it kind of nullifies it. This was a very good ratio. And yes, a couple of nervous moments. She opened the match with a double fall at the very first point of the match. She double faulted a couple more times when she lost her serve at four all in the first set. There were moments. There were moments when the doubles cost her, but but she was so composed and she get her rhythm back. And it ended up being quite a serving day for her because after the two breaks in the first set against her, she didn't lose serve in the second or third sets and came through in the clutch from break point down in a four deuce game to close it out. You're so right, David. High quality match. Mary Jo Fernandez made the comment that it reminded her of a men's match. That Sometimes that's not politically correct to say that. I once got in trouble on Twitter for saying that, but what people don't understand is that's a compliment, meaning that it was a server's contest, that the women, women's tennis, the best women players tend to be better, better known for their returns and they serve well, but there you tend to get a, a fair amount of service breaks, which differentiates the men's and women's games. This one was really fascinating because there were three breaks in the opening set and, and Rebecca got the, the second break that she needed 
to win that first set. And then Sabalenka got one break in the second, one break in the third, and protected the, the, the break each time and served her way through to the title. And I thought it was refreshing. I thought it was great to watch. And I think they're both going to have tremendous seasons in 2023. Rabakina will be a threat again at Wimbledon. Sabalenka and, and elsewhere, but Sabalenka definitely everywhere. She's a highly underrated clay, clay court player, as you know. So she can she could be right in the thick of things in all the remaining majors. So it's it sets up an exciting season for the women. And just, you know, mentally to get over that hiccup with the serve. I mean, we've seen it not only with certain tennis players, but with other sports players. There's certain baseball players. They can't throw the ball from second base to first base. Or there's the same right. Louis Hauptfeld. I mean, there's there's a number of athletes. You see it with Sarah Arani in tennis, I think, still having a horrible time with, with her serve. So shout out to, to Sabalink for getting over there, uh, getting over that hump. And, and I agree with you, both of them. I think there's many, there, there's quite a few more slams in their futures, especially in the women's tour where it's spread out. You know, it's much more spread out than it is on, on the men's tour. It is. I, but you no, know, when you think about it, just quickly, David, we, we all thought maybe Sriantek might take this title. You know, she won two majors last year. She was right. She was one of the, 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 the favorite. And yet it came down to Sabalenka and Rybakina and they put on a first rate show. That was one yeah. of the higher quality women's finals I've seen in a, in a long time. No disagreement. No disagreement yeah. for me. And I, I also want to emphasize, and we talked about it um, a little earlier on in the tournament with Craig Shapiro, but the American men, again, I mean, eight men in the third round, which did not include Taylor, Taylor Fritz, three in the quarters, unfortunately, two had to play against each other. Um, fantastic showing from the American men, and hopefully we can keep that momentum going. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Tommy Paul threw to his first. I know you and I talked a lot about Tommy Paul last year, matches that got away from him. I know you were frustrated by that, as I was. You wanted to see him do better in those contests. And then he, he goes all the way to the semifinals and puts on a, a very respectable performance against Novak Djokovic, coming from 5-1 down in the first set, Novak with a set point in that, that seventh game. And then Tommy got it all the way back to 5 all before Novak regain control of the match but great tournament for him and then he beats ben shelton in the quarters what a what a tremendous australian open debut for him and they had seb corda who knocked off medvedev and her and he got to the quarters unfortunately got hurt yeah that, was, that, that I, match, I was it, hoping sebi could get through that 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 wrist injury was in was unfortunate it was a well-played yeah. match he was behind but it was a close match yeah, it was. Yeah, you and I texted at the time, and I, I think you agreed with me that it was going to be a hard comeback for Seb anyway. But then the wrist doomed him because it happened in the fifth game of the second set, and he never really was the same again. And too bad he had to retire. But still, that doesn't diminish him reaching a, you know, a plateau with a, with the quarterfinals of, of a major for the first time. And, uh, you know, he, he it's going to get him rolling, I think. And that's coming on the heels of the final of Adelaide where he had a match point against Novak. So he's off to an excellent start in 2023. Well said. Um, I guess I guess the next step we'll be talking about the final. And, um, you know, it was interesting. This matchup's interesting. And we talked about it. Um, Sefno Sitsivas versus Novak Djokovic. You know, we both felt that Steph could do certain things to make Novak more uncomfortable than Novak's previous opponents. Um, we both agreed on that. I also would think Steph would take some confidence 
and one, not only playing Novak in a Grand Slam final previously, I know it's a way different surface, but having success against Novak in the final of a Grand Slam, he was up two sets to love in that French Open. It's not like he played Novak in a final and Novak blitzed him completely. If I'm a coach and I'm, st- I'm, I'm instilling that in my players' confidence saying, hey, you can play with this guy on the biggest of stages now. When we talk about it, it didn't happen. But I'm just saying from a mental approach going in, I think Steph felt like he had a chance to make Novak uncomfortable here. He did. And obviously with his game, there are certain things he can do. There's more versatility. There's more capacity to come forward and attack. And he's quite a good volleyer. His serve is highly underrated. Djokovic broke him two times in three sets, as well as he returned two breaks in three sets. And, and that says a lot for Sitsipas. Having said that, I agree with you. I don't think he comes away discouraged or dismayed. He even said it afterwards. He was really laudatory toward Novak being just sort of setting the agenda in men's tennis and, and really sort of raising the bar for everybody. And he's right. Uh, but he shouldn't be discouraged. You know, he'd been in, a, a, he'd been in the – this is a guy that, of course, had beaten uh, Roger in 19 in the Australian on his way to the semis, came back from two sets down against Rafa a couple of years ago to get to the semis again. You know, Medvedev knocked him off in a couple of semis, and Rafa beat him the first time he was in the semis. But this was a breakthrough. He's into his second Grand Slam final, his first in Australia. And I think he took the loss, David, in the right light because that was a very, that was also a high quality match. Uh, Stefanos was a bit apprehensive in the first set and Novak jumped on him and got that early break. And Djokovic only lost five points in five service games in the first set. But then Tsitsipas had his opportunity, David, late in the second, a set point on Novak's serve in the 10th game. And some people criticize him, David, by the way, Thought he was too cautious, waiting for maybe uh, some help from Novak and an error. From Novak. I, I thought that was a little bit unfair because he kept the ball pretty deep in the rally, and he 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 didn't put it. He didn't play it poorly. He had good depth on his shots, as I say. But finally, Novak stepped around off a cross court backhand from Sitsipas and laced the forehand inside in in typical Djokovic fashion. Plenty of margin for error. Hits the winner. And, and, let, and let me let me just jump in on that. I'm so glad you said that because and, and I agree it was a long rally. It was a neutral rally. I agree. It was yes. a neutral yes. rally. What I've emphasized so much to you and, and our listeners in previous conversations of how Novak plays in tiebreakers. He did the exact same thing at 30, 40, 4, 5 at this exact point. The winner that he hit that inside in forehand. I urge everyone to go back and look at that highlight. He hit a clean winner. It was nowhere near the sideline no, or the baseline. And it's nope. such a good lesson for every player at every level in this sport. You go, and Paul Anacone says it all the time, be aggressive at big targets. And that's exactly what that shot was. No, exactly. that's right. And especially on a point that important, you don't want to be too risky in going near the sideline. Now, interestingly enough, contrast that a bit. But again, he had complete control of the shot and knew exactly what he was doing was match point at 6-5, a tiebreak in the third set. They're having what looks like a pretty neutral rally. Novak steps around, hits a forehand inside in, very near the sideline, but beautifully controlled, not dangerous, and kept kept it fairly low and had Tsitsipas on the stretch, and and Stefanos missed a forehand cross court. The match was over. So he knows how close to the lines. He knows how to measure his shots and and even on that one, he didn't try to hit it that hard, but his placement was perfect. And 
he's just a it's uncanny what a great match player Djokovic is. Yeah, I want to go because we stress how great, especially a tiebreak player Novak is. And that second set tiebreaker was was a little odd for Novak, right? He goes up 4-1. We're like, okay, he's in control. And then he loses both points on his serve. He obviously, yeah. he, he eventually rebounds and wins it. But that's that's unlike Novak in a tiebreaker. He's usually so locked in. He was determined. I think you're so right. And I think what it was is the strain of the two weeks, the injury, being in the finals, being emotionally drained from everything he'd already been through and wanting this title so badly. And I think he, he tightened up what you're talking about there at four one, he made an error off the back end and then a double fault kind of tame into the net. Suddenly it's four three and then Sitsipas wins the first point on his serve and it's four all, but that's where you have to commend Djokovic David, because he, then he gets right back into the lockdown mode and says, no, there's no way you're getting anything more out of me. You're going to win this. If you're going to win this tie break, you're going to have to earn it because I'm giving you nothing. And he, and he played a good point in four all coaxed an error, coaxed another one for six, four, and then a perfect, slice serve out wide in the deuce court, which was so effective for him throughout the match to set to, to Stefanos's forehand short and wide and, and, and Sitsipas couldn't clear the net on his return. So those three points, that was crucial. The four five, the four five set point that we mentioned against Djokovic that he saves. And then the way he reasserted himself from four all in the tie break, just when it looked like he was getting a bit tense and something a bit similar happened, David, in the third set tiebreak. You know, they jumps had, up five zero, right? He jumps up yeah. five zero, and then at five zero, he they're having a nice rally, the kind of rally that you kind of believe that Djokovic is probably going to win. It's a neutral rally. He's hitting the ball really well, solid and deep, and suddenly a fan screamed out from yes, the stand. Yes and distracted him right before he was hitting a backhand. Now, we have no way of knowing whether he would have won or lost that point, but that didn't help because instead of being potentially six-zip and it's over, it's 5-1, there's still a little tension. And Stefanos, to his credit, David, got it back to 5-3 and then eventually saved two match points from 3-6. You know, after Novak got to 6-3 with a winner, Stefanos wins both of his service points, and so now Novak has to serve it out. And then he hit that four-in inside in that, we were just talking about and it's over. So yes, but, but I would say the second set tiebreaker was where he really got, that was, that was much, he got much tighter. Stefanos played quite well to work his way back into the third set tiebreak. That was more his uh, impressive stuff from him as opposed to Novak collapsing. But again, when the chips were down in each case, closing out those breakers, Novak was there. Unbelievable. So I think Steph had 40 unforced errors and you're always careful when you say unforced against Novak, because it's eventually you, you keep trying to go for a little bit more, more, more. So it's almost like some of those are forced errors, just that Novak is making you do Novak pretty clean, 19 unforced errors. Um, what's interesting to me, Steve, you know, you look at the big three, right? You got Novak now at 22, he ties Rafa, Rafa at 22, and then you got Roger. At 20, obviously, Roger's going to stay there. What's interesting to me is Novak and Rafa in the finals of the slams that they own. Steve, Novak is 10-0, and 0, and Rafa is 14-0. and 0. They don't lose in the final. So what does that mean? No. you got to beat them before they get to the final. Well, that's not easy. I mean, generally, your opponent's not – it, it obviously depends how the tournament plays out, but – to go 10 and 0 and 14 and 0 in finals, that's that's not normal, Steve. Not that these, no, any no. of these three guys are. That's not normal. 
<laughs> and it's really, it, it, I could, I agree with you, David. It's, it's, it's hard to say which is the greater accomplishment in terms of the, the final round records, because Rafa is so far superior uh, to everybody on clay. There's no, we've never seen anything quite like it historically in tennis where somebody was that much better than his adversaries on a particular surface. And, and, and that's why he's got 14 French. That takes nothing away from the fact that he's still got to come through in those finals against presumably your toughest opponent and somebody who's had a great fortnight themselves. But in Djokovic's case, what I find interesting about it is, yes, we know what a tremendous hardcore player he is, but there are a lot. It's not the same situation. There's so many guys capable of winning that tournament. On oh, the absolutely. Court. And he only won three U.S. Opens, which is also on hardcourt. It's weird. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's hard. That's hard to explain because he's lost six finals there and that you wouldn't think that would have happened either. And maybe it's because it's later in the season, you know, at the end of, a, of the summer, it's timing, it's circumstances. But it is surprising given his heart. But that proves a point that, yeah, on a, on a slightly different hardcourt surface, he ha- has not been able to win those finals. But obviously psychologically both Nadal at Roland Garros and Djokovic in Melbourne are they they just go out there believing that it's going to take something absolutely extraordinary to stop them so let me ask you this question Stephen. I put it on Twitter uh, I'm not going to tell you the answer until after but Novak's 35 years old Rafa's health we don't know yet let's say hypothetically Rafa stays at 14 in Roland Garros the question for you is can Novak get to 14 and 0 in Australia? He'd be 39 years old. If you had to make a call, and let's say hypothetically Rafa stays at 14, can Novak get to 14 in Australia? I don't think so. And I say that as in, as you know, I'm a, I'm an ardent admirer, ardent admirer of Djokovic's. I can see him getting a couple more. I don't see four more at this stage of his career. No, uh, I think that would be astounding. But again, it wouldn't shock me to see a couple more. Yes. Uh, so I don't see the 14. I don't see happening. Then, then we have the other question. Can Rafa get number 15 at Roland Garros? Well, that's going to depend so much on his health, as you know, David, because Djokovic was, was dealing with a very kind of aggravating and, some, and worrisome injury. But when you're talking about a hamstring, it's not the same thing. Rafa's had so many yeah. complicated injuries and the abdominal thing this past year and the foot and the knees don't act up anymore, but there seems to always be something new cropping up. He's so injury prone and he's so gutsy and coming back from the injuries. But uh, I wonder this time, David, because you think about last year with Nadal, how he uh, left Rome, he'd been beaten by Shapovalov and he looked like he could barely walk off the court. He had to get injections before every match at Roland Garros and commendably he came through to take that title but uh is he going to be able to do something similar to that again can he can he replicate something as remarkable as that we we don't know let's let's hope he's healthy for the clay court season yeah that's what i was going to say and it's and it's going to be interesting and there's a lot of tennis to be played before we even get to the clay court tournament uh, clay court season but if he's not 100 percent, and let's say rafa doesn't win and let's say novak does win the french He'll have a one slam lead, but I think everyone will view that as a little bit bigger than just a one slam lead because he's so good at Wimbledon. And then there's the U.S. Open. And again, we just don't know with Rafa's health. Let's hope Rafa's health is okay. But if Novak can get that French, 
that looks like it's going to be tough sledding for Rafa maybe to eventually catch him back. Yeah, we're we're in accord on that. I mean, just look looking over the years. Yes, he's lost some heartbreakers to Rafa. He's also beaten him a couple of times on that court, which is which is remarkable, including two years ago when in the semis before he came back against Sitsipas in the final, Novak came from a set down to beat Rafa in that epic semifinal that they had. Uh he's he's the second best clay court player in the world. And I I believe that firmly. And Listen, it's not inconceivable that they and let's hope that if they, that if Raf is healthy and they go to Paris because Raf is down to six in the rankings right now, let's just hope that they don't end up in a quarter again. <laughs> Last year they had to play in the quarters. That was a shame. Two years ago, a semi. That was also unfortunate. Maybe they can end up in opposite halves with with some good fortune because wouldn't it be a tr- outstanding to see them clash? have a final round clash again in Roland Garros with both playing well, because I, I think Novak would have a very good shot. I, obviously going in, Rafa has to always be favored on that court, but Novak knows what he can do. I mean, even last year when Novak was a little up and down in that match is, is sporadically brilliant, but sporadically off his game, off his game at times too, while Rafa was solid throughout. Novak was up 5-2 in the fourth set and had a couple of set points on his serve at 5-3 to take it to five. So, I mean, I, they've had some, they've had some wonderful matches at Roland Garros over the years. My hope is we get to see them in the finals this year. There's one player that um, we haven't talked about and because he was injured in Australia, but there's one player that we hope may be able to enter the picture and maybe interrupt that rivalry. And that's young Carlos Alcar, as we forget how great a clay court player he is. His one slam, he won the U.S. Open, but we all know how great a clay court player he is. Let's hope he gets healthy. He may have something to say about this. Oh, I about this he, he will have something to say. And again, if you want me to, to pursue that scenario just slightly deeper, let's have Carlos meet either Novak or Rafa and have a, have, have a five-set semifinal. Uh, that that uh, may the better man win. But yes, he, he will. And conceivably, that's when he's going to start playing his best tennis. He's coming back. You know, he had to miss the Australian. So who knows how well he'll play on the hard courts. But I have a feeling by the time the clay season starts, that's when we're going to see the best of Carlos. Well, the first slam's done. We got a couple 250s coming up. I think we got what the Dallas Open. We got Del Rey. I'm going to be down there for a few days, just a short time this year. Um, and then obviously we have the Sunshine Double before we hit um, the, the clay court season. Good start to the year, right? We had some names both on the men's and women's side that were unable to compete because of injuries, and that was unfortunate. Overall, uh, good first slam to start 2023. I'm happy. How about you? Oh, very happy. You know, a, a terrific women's final and a, a really well-played men's final and, and lots of really gripping matches for the men along the way with the American presence that you described. And ultimately, in the end, turns out to be probably Djokovic's most emotionally satisfying, psychically rewarding uh, major. He pretty much said that when it was over of his entire career. And that's saying something for somebody who's won 22 majors and 10 Australians to single this one out, but he did. Oh, and let, right. Let's not forget everything that happened just 12 months ago. And I think that's, that's uh, a big part of why that emotion, uh, the emotional response was what he had with that. Um he went through hell, right? Hell and back. And we can argue who was right, who was wrong. It doesn't matter. It was just a bad situation. And uh, he was happy that he was able to 
play it this year and then obviously win the tournament. Um, deservedly so this year. He, yeah, he was, and there was he there was, was incredible. Was, he lost one set, right? Lost one yeah, set. One set. There was a tiebreaker in the second round. Uh, uh, oddly, a tiebreaker. But but you know, yeah. David, <laughs> he he, he uh, there were some things that happened that were uh, two things that I admire him for. It, people started questioning the injury, which I really thought was unfair. I thought, look. It was obvious when you're calling the trainers out there and getting medical timeouts with leads, as he was, for instance, against Dimitrov in the third round, two sets up, four one in the third, two breaks, and he needs the trainer. That that's not one you're going to call for the trainer, in my view. And I think it was obvious at times in the early rounds, first three rounds, that the the pain was there. And then he then I think thanks to his physio and his hard work in the gym and all the steps he was taking and not practicing on days off. He got through it really nice, and we saw the best of him physically from the fourth round on. And then the second thing was the unfortunate incident with his father uh, not being allowed. To, his father didn't sit in the box the last couple of matches. It was that incident with him taking a photograph, photograph trying to greet the Serbian fans, and some other characters came around that looked like they were pro-Putin people and Russian flag or whatever it was, and, and he maybe should have been more careful about allowing that photo to be taken be that as it may it was a it was a it was it was a poignant moment in a way to hear Djokovic talking about the disappointment and how he and his father agreed that it would be better for him not to sit with the family in the box and watch it from elsewhere so even with the the uh, the gratification of coming through again there was you know he had to deal with some sadness again but I thought it was handled very well and very intelligently because had his father come back for either the semi or the final it could have been really detrimental to Novak in terms of crowd reaction. So they both realized, don't do that. It's always unfortunate when, when certain things happen outside the lines that may affect someone's performance between the lines. Um, but again, Novak came through as he has done so often. Just incredible that we're seeing this. Just absolutely incredible that we're seeing this. Um, Steve, thank you for your time. I know we're looking, uh, looking forward to some hardcore tennis still especially the sunshine double in a little bit. We got, we got a few weeks before that happens, but um, we'll talk again soon. This was fun. Thanks, Steve. Enjoyed it, David. I can't believe another Australian open has come and gone because while, while that fortnight is, is uh, it, while we're moving through that fortnight, you know, you, you, it becomes a daily part of your existence. And then suddenly after two weeks, it's over. It's kind of a letdown as all, as it is at the end of any slam, but we've got, a lot to look forward to uh, in the rest of 2023. And us and all the Americans can get back on our normal sleep cycles. So that that's the best part <laughs> about all of this. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you, David.